I always joke that I'm the pretty one and you're the smart one, which means that we're maybe sunk. Maybe <laughs> we could be toast. <laughs> you're the smart one. <laughs> we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. So back on the line. Hey. hey. <laughs> I'm back. Back on the line with my sister Veronica. Had her on for the last episode. Got to get some follow-up questions here. Because you went and looked at your water quality report for your city. Consumer confidence report. So we had some questions about this. Yeah. Hit me. Okay. So actually, this is very nicely set up for poets and Spanish professors in that it tells us the regulated contaminate and then the typical source. So we've got atrazine, which is runoff for use on row crops. Okay. So this is what I was asking about. It's fertilizer or the opposite, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a biocide. Oh, I believe indeed. it's mostly used on corn and similar crops like that in the grass family. And as far as I know, it is the second most widely used herbicide in the country after glyphosate, Roundup. Okay. And it is a very controversial thing. Is this dicamba? Is that what this is? No, dicamba is different. Uh, also controversial. Yes. But I think dicamba is mostly controversial because people spray it on co crops and kill their neighbor's crops. Yes. Atrazine is uh, controversial because it might be toxic and we still have it legal Oops. in the U.S. So it's been illegal in Europe for a long time and studies suggest that it's an endocrine disruptor. But oh. the EPA has done reviews of it and said, nah, it's actually fine. Um, but it's still an incredibly common water pollutant. So do we trust the EPA's take on this or not really? So the, I don't know if I want to wade into this controversy on this podcast because the maker of atrazine, a company called Syngenta, has a penchant for going after anyone that attacks the product. And uh, there's this Berkeley professor named Tyrone Hayes who has done research on frogs and found some really troubling stuff about atrazine okay so he returned the money that he was given from syngenta oh and was like i can't have a conflict of interest because i'm gonna publish this data and uh it does not look good for y'all yeah you're not gonna like it so. they lost it and got like attacked him and then did they get some attorneys involved there were lots of attorneys and i think if you google tyrone hayes the first thing you get is sponsored <laughs> links by syngenta actually attacking him and they like tried to get him fired and all this nonsense of course the berkeley folks think it's great you know they they're not gonna fire him right right this is good publicity for them well, right standing up to the man well no i mean that's not really how academia works as much as like republican no, no. republican dominated house oversight committees think like mainly you're just evaluated on whether you're <laughs> what really maybe you you're sure? just evaluated on if you're a good researcher or not he's doing fine research i thought that that's how i didn't think that was how academia worked but i thought that's how berkeley worked <laughs> 
There's a big difference between Berkeley and like Berkeley undergraduates in the 1960s. I will throw that out. What? <laughs> but anyway. Anyway. Um... That's the story of the atrocene. So it's a controversial thing. Okay. Yeah. What else are we going to talk about in here? Then we have our disinfection byproducts. So are those the things that the city has added to the water? Those are things that appear in the water because of the chlorine that your okay. city adds to the water to treat the pathogens. So we have haloacetic acids and trihalomethanes? Yep. Okay, so give me, give me some chemistry. Disinfection byproducts are... Things that form when chlorine reacts with the natural organic matter in your water. So because you're drinking surface water... Out of the Missouri River and into my tap. Yeah, there's probably a lot of natural organic matter in it, relatively speaking, compared to... A well? Yeah, to uh, groundwater. And that can be problematic because it reacts with chlorine. And the two most widely known classes of disinfection byproducts are the haloacetic acids and the trihalomethanes, which you... I've got both of them. Yeah. So trihalomethanes you maybe haven't heard of, but you have heard of. Okay. One of the trihalomethanes is trichloromethane, which you might know as a different name. Can you think of what trichloromethane might be? I have no idea. Uh, it's chloroform. So... Is it really? It is, yeah. And so when chlorine reacts with natural organic matter, one of the things you can get is chloroform. Yeah, I never would have gotten that. <laughs> yeah, and so chloroform and its chemical cousins can be really bad. And <laughs> Yes! We started figuring this out when we analyzed the drinking water of places that were cancer clusters. So now you have to be really careful uh, with drinking water. Uh, when you add chlorine, because you don't want those disinfection byproducts to be making people sick. So the main way we deal with that is just by trying to remove natural organic matter first. Like a filter? Yes. Yeah. So things like activated carbon can absorb natural organic matter. Um, but it's also expensive. So again, better to just find a source that doesn't have natural organic matter, oftentimes. Or to switch so to a different treatment system that doesn't involve chlorine. Hmm. So there we're getting into our sort of experimental, less conservative moves, right? That we were talking about previously. Well, many cities now have non-chlorinated water, so they use ozone or something like that. Okay. Or they use a class of compounds similar to chlorine called chloramines which also have some problems. You know, they're, they're disinfection byproducts that can actually form with any disinfectant, ozone, chlorine, right. whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, depending, you can tweak things a little bit. Okay, so it sounds like you either have surface water or groundwater. Uh -huh. So if you have surface water, you have this problem. But if you have groundwater, you have to sink a big old well. That's right, yeah. So either one of these is potentially really expensive. Oh, um, yeah. What else are we going to talk about in here? Copper comma free, which I don't know what that means. Known to its friends as free copper. <laughs> okay, is, that, is copper comma free his stage name? Or how it's listed in the phone book. Okay. So copper has this very interesting propensity, more than any other metal, in fact, to form bonds with that natural organic matter. 
And okay. these are called complexes. Okay. And these complexes tie up the copper and make it less toxic. So copper is generally not very toxic to humans. It has to be really, really high to be toxic to humans. Um, but it is toxic to fish. Okay. And so you can actually have fairly high levels of copper if you also have fairly high levels of natural organic matter because okay. the natural organic matter ties up the copper and stops it from being toxic to the fish because only free copper is toxic. Okay. That's the deal with copper. I think it's very interesting that it says that the typical source of this is corroding pipe. Yeah. So copper is unlikely to occur naturally in anybody's drinking water? I know that, like, where I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a fair amount of copper in our water, and that we drink water from mountain reservoirs. So actually, we have naturally occurring copper. And it's interesting, in the Bay Area, it's actually illegal to put tap water into the Bay. Because of the copper? Because of the copper. Interesting. Because the level of copper in the drinking water is... For drinking water, we only care about human health, right? So it's not too high to be a factor for human health. But then for wastewater, we care about environmental health. And the copper oh. in our drinking water is too high for the environmental health thresholds for the bay. And so, yeah. So in some places, they do have naturally occurring copper, for sure. But I don't know how common that is, or if the Bay Area is an outlier in that. Interesting. So I don't worry about the copper for myself, just for the fish. That's right, yeah. So it says, unresolved deficiency. Backwash water is deposited to the river. Backwash water probably has to do with the filtration system. So your filters need to be cleaned periodically, and so you backwash them with water to clean off the filters. Sure. Much like you would clean your screen by spraying it with hopes. Exactly. Exactly. That's, see, that's, that's why we, we got to have writers around to, to make these analogies. <laughs> we did have a big argument where I said, your business make, makes life possible, and my business makes life beautiful and therefore worth living. Are you sure that we had this argument, or that this yeah. isn't a quote from... No, no, from you and I had this dead argument, and you were like, shoot. This is, this is uh, from the Dead Poets Society. <laughs> you're like, that, well, you were like, this is both, like, you're a, a bridge that works is both functional and beautiful, false dichotomy, flag on the play, I'm not going with it. But I, I'm pretty sure that Robin Williams' character... Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yeah, so it has some line about makes life worth living. Uh, I mean, he might, shoot. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Um, so tell me, why might I have to boil my water? Because every once in a while we get a little boil water notice. Hasn't happened in a while, but it happens every once in a while. Okay, that's not good. Yeah, so if you have to boil your water, it means... <laughs> Crap, Joe! <laughs> if you have to boil your water, it's because there's something in your water that could make you sick. Okay. And it's hard to know what that is, but it's probably related to pathogens, so germs that make you sick. Okay. And right, so boiling water would kill pathogens, or if it's something like volatile that could like easily evaporate from your water, you could boil the water to evaporate it out of your water. Mm -hmm. But it won't fix things that 
are not volatile and not pathogens. So if you had lead in your water... Okay, so if we lived in Flint, boiling wouldn't help. Would not help, yeah. Or like if you remember when Lake Erie water supply for Toledo got really bad and they had to shut off the water supply. I do remember that. So the contaminant in there was not volatile. It wasn't germs, it was a chemical that uh, algae produce, um, and it's not volatile, so boiling the water wouldn't have helped. Huh, okay. So probably because you got... There, there's something in your water there's some germs in your water that can make you sick and it's hard to say what that is right so like it could be that there was like a break in a pipe or something so like okay dirt could have gotten in or it could have been that like the treatment process failed for some reason like uh, you know the guy adding the chlorine screwed up or something yeah bad batch of chlorine yeah or there was a lot of natural organic matter that like sucked up all the chlorine or something so it didn't nuke the germs well enough yeah so that's something has gone wrong exactly yeah there's all sorts of stuff in my water but the things that i know about are dog poop and fertilizer what's hard and what's easy to treat in my water i guess is the question right what is the water treatment plant treating to make it potable well i would worry less about dog poop than like human poop also probably some human poop upstream Oh, because, well, yeah, because potentially, you know, the city that's upstream also has some CSO complications. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so poop, you know, poop is something that we've gotten really, really good at removing because poop makes you sick. And so, like, the very first Indeed. water treatment systems, you know, provided filtration and chlorination that remove pathogens. So, like, you know, poop, we've we've got a lot of practice doing. So we're good at getting rid of germs, but less good at getting rid of chemicals? Yeah. Is the moral of the story? That's fair, but it depends on what chemical, too. It can be really hard to remove things like fertilizers sometimes, and very expensive, right? It can be, like, hard just means expensive most of the time. Okay. And so oftentimes it's cheaper to just find a cleaner source of water than to fuss with removing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, I think that's all we got for that. Okay. All righty. Thanks for the follow-up, Joe. This episode of What Are You Talking About? was produced by me, Joe Charbonnet with help from my amazing sister, Veronica. I will note that since we recorded this episode, both of us have moved across the country to new cities with new water supplies. Other producers include Scott Miller, Chelsea Panos, Chris Olivares, and Hannah Greenwald. What Are You Talking About? is produced in association with Renewit, the NSF's Engineering Research Center for Reinventing the Nation's Urban Water Infrastructure. You can check them out on renewit.org as they triumphantly enter their 10th and final year of using NSF support to radically reform our cities and towns into healthier, more sustainable, and wetter places to live. We'll be back soon with a new season. Until then, this has been What Are You Talking About? Stay wet, everyone. So the moral of the story is 
pathogens and scary chemicals are bad. Boil if they say to boil.